time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It's a Friday edition of the podcast. You know what that means. It means you don't have to deal with me uh, today. You get to have a guest on here. I only get to talk about half the time and we get to hear from somebody great, somebody important uh, in my life or someone I've just met, you know, here and there, all kinds of different uh, guests we have here on the podcast. And today we're joined by someone who uh, I've, I've actually umpired a, a few college baseball games with someone that uh, was a pretty good uh, high school football official in the area too. We shared that in common. Uh, one area we did not share in common was our golf skills. Uh, this indiv- individual today is a professional golf golfer. I'll let him tell you all the details. I may have messed that up already, but uh, I, I, you guys have seen or heard about me golf. It's, it's very, very, it's just not pretty. Anyway, today's guest uh, will have plenty to say about uh, golf and you know what his golf game is like. And then uh, some some college football, big Alabama uh, tie, uh, roll tide, you know, uh, the Crimson Tide football fans. Sorry, I'm a little out of it today. Uh, but today we're going to be joined by none other than Mr. Ron Reagan. No, not the 40th president of the United States, although what an honor that would be. Today, we're going to be joined by Ron Reagan, my good friend who, uh, when I met him, he was working down in San Diego as a, a college football or excuse me, college baseball umpire and a uh, high school football uh, official and, and just uh, did great work down there. We worked a few college series together here and there and, and shared some good laughs. Uh, I mentioned Ron, Ron's golf game. Uh, he'll tell you all about, you know, his uh, professional side of it. Or I, again, I don't know all the terms. I'll let him explain it all. But uh, Ron is also uh, a Navy veteran. And that's why I'm wearing my Navy hat here to uh, show support for my good friend, Ron. Uh, worked as a uh, Worked as part of a submarine force for many years. So uh, a lot to talk to with my good friend, Ron. Uh, he's a huge Alabama Crimson Tide fan. He moved out of this state we call California. We call it home. Uh, Ron has uh, escaped uh, escaped from LA, if you will, escaped from San Diego anyway, and has uh, found a home elsewhere and is very happy with his move. So I'll let him tell you uh, all about that, but I'm very excited today to talk about kind of a wide range of topics. Of course, uh, military service I'm always interested in. Uh, Alabama football, let's talk some college football. I can't wait for that. That's just around the corner. And, and of course, uh, Ron's, Ron's golf career. Did he go pro? Was he a pro? What, what's the exact terminology? I know that he puts my, uh, my, my golf game to shame for sure. And then, uh, you know, Ron speaks his mind. He, he's, uh, he's a guy I always enjoyed being around and uh, can't wait to bring him on the podcast today. So let me step aside for uh, the second best Ron Reagan I know. Sorry, Ron, no offense, man. Uh, but anyway, just kidding. All kidding aside, I'm sure he gets plenty of those jokes. But uh, let us let me step aside now and bring on the great Ron Reagan. Okay, joining me now from the free state of Georgia is my good friend, Ron Reagan. No, not the 40th president of the United States. He's uh, my good buddy, Ron Reagan from San Diego, now residing in the great state of Georgia. Hey, Ron, what's going on? Hey, Matt. Good to see you. Great to see you, man. It's been a while. Uh, you and I haven't probably seen each other since we uh, worked at UC San Diego, uh, some series, or maybe it was on a golf course, which was on a golf course. 
Yeah, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm sure you've been on a golf course uh, a time or two the past couple of years. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of my passions, Matt. So I get out there every chance I get. It's, it's good for your mind. It's good for your soul. So oh, I'm yeah. out there as often as I can. Well, the, I, I agree with you, Ron. The only problem is I get out there and it, it ends up being bad for my mind because I start I start swinging and uh, I, I just I start losing my mind. But I usually hit one good one and that's what brings me back. <laughs> well, you know, Matt, playing golf's a lot like umpiring. You know, you, if if you blow a call or you blow a shot, you just got to flush it and move on. That's what it's about. Yeah, well, uh, I have high scores on uh, both golf courses and uh, <laughs> and baseball fields regarding uh, missed calls. So, Ron, it's good to see you, man. We haven't chatted, like I said. We worked a few series together, usually in uh, your neck of the woods in San Diego. And and I want to say one of the last times we worked, it was a pretty big series in Division Two, Chico State, I think, UC San Diego. You yep. had the you had the rubber game, and everyone was all hyped up because it was like number two versus number four in the country. So, you know, everyone thought that it was more important than it was. And um, I think I ended up running an assistant coach for Chico state in like the second inning from right, from right field. And then it was a church after that. And we got through the ball game. Yeah. We had a good time there. That was, um, <laughs> you know, that was a big, that was a big stage for me at that point in my career. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, the advice and mentorship that I've received from uh, some friends of mine, including yourself, was very beneficial during that. So I'm grateful for all those times. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ron. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on baseball fields or any athletic field with guys that are hungry to learn. It doesn't matter, you know, what age we are, younger, older, like the, 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 the concept of officiating, it is an addiction. It gets inside of us. And for whatever reason, it, it keeps bringing us back, back, even though we have, we have some rough days here and there, but there is something that Brings us back to that field. I've been I've been away a few years now, and I'm I'm at peace with it. But are you still officiating out there in Georgia? I am, Matt. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I'm waiting. Um, you know, the D two season closes this weekend uh, out here, and uh, I am been told that I'm going to get probably the Peach Belt Conference uh, championship series. Uh, so I'm waiting on that to materialize. I mean, I got my fingers crossed. Uh, all the indications are that I should, I, I should get that. So let's hope that happens. Uh, but yeah. And I do in high school football out here still. Um, and Matt, I'll probably do it until I can't do it anymore. <laughs> like you said, it, it is an addiction. What, what, what is it for you, Ron? Why, why does it keep coming? I mean, you've done so many things that we're going to get to. You've been in the Navy. Uh, you know, you worked with, uh, with, with golf and, and coaching guys up. What is it that just keeps bringing it to you? We said addiction, but is it the camaraderie? Is it the, is the plays on the field? Is it the memories? What is it for you? Well, at this point, Matt, it's, it's the competition with myself. Okay. Mm. And it's also my experience. Now I can, I can uh, pass that on to younger umpires and develop them like I was developed. And I think that's the, I think that's the fun for me now is, you know, you, cause I do get assigned with younger guys and I'm expected to mentor them. And so, you know, you coach them up and you bring them along and it's satisfying to watch them grow. And so I think that's what it is for me now. Can I ask you, I want to ask you a question about this, this concept, this dynamic, because I think you see it in baseball more than any other sport is you have this, uh, dynamic where there are some 
uh, an age an age gap dynamic. And what I mean by that mm-hmm. is you have some like younger guys who maybe worked professional baseball and now they're in college baseball. Uh, they're younger in age, but they have a lot of experience or they, they've seen a lot of things at least. And then you, you're sometimes dealing with an older guy who's not, not old, but older than those guys. Mm-hmm. And so there is an interesting dynamic, I think, in baseball where sometimes the guy younger in age is kind of giving instruction to someone who's older in age. Uh, how, how has that worked for you as far as receiving um, uh, feedback from guys? Because it, it's not, it can't be an easy thing. And I got to say, for, as a younger guy, when you're talking to older guys, it's sometimes it's, it's hard to get out the words exactly because you're dealing with someone that has so much more life experience than you. What can you tell me about that dynamic? Um, I just think that, you know, in, in that situation, Matt, I mean, the younger guy would have to have the credibility to go along mm-hmm. with what he's saying. Um, if, and if he brings that to the table, then, you know, I'm going to listen. Um, you know, you always listen to feedback and you, you glean what you can use and the rest of it you throw away as we've all been taught. Uh, but I don't, I wouldn't have a problem with it as long as he's got the credibility to go along with what he's doing. No, that, that's, that's well said. And you know what, there's nothing worse. Well, maybe there's things worse, but on a baseball field, there's nothing worse in my opinion than an arrogant umpire, whether it's a young dude or an old dude, guys with no experience, a lot of experience. I don't care who it is. Uh, there's a level of confidence you need, but I just hate guys that are arrogant. I can't stand it. Uh, our job is hard enough. And it's hard if you can't get along with partners or you think you're better, bigger than your partners. That is just something that has always driven me crazy. So I, I just hate arrogant umpires. Well, in, in, in the environment you and I came in uh, under out in, on the West coast, all the people that taught us were not arrogant. Okay. And they, and they preached that to have humility, no matter what, because this game is not about us. They don't come to watch us work. Mm. And you and I both know that, you know, they come to see those players play and they want those players to have the best chance and be, and have it fair for both teams, you know? And I think that's where, and I think people, I think that umpires that are arrogant, Matt, are not confident in what they're doing and whether it be rules, knowledge, where it be mechanic knowledge, where it be judgment, whatever the case may be. And I think, that's where it's a defense mechanism more than anything. Oh man. I've never heard it put that way, Ron. That's brilliant. No, that's, that makes a ton of sense to me. And now that I look back at it, I'm kind of like, yeah, I could see, I could see that. <laughs> now most, I say 90% of the time you're, you're around great dudes who just want to do a good job and, and uh, you know, get, they got your back, but there's a handful of guys like any profession that, that kind of give us a bad name. And, and even when we're not being out there being arrogant or cocky or whatever, there's still plenty of problems that are going to come our way. So why, why carry yourself in, in that way? So very well said about the, uh, the West coast. Do you, does it, now that you moved to, uh, to Georgia, would you say that at least from a college umpiring standpoint, that other parts of the country have that thought as far as like West coast umpires, or is it maybe the other way around? Um, that, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's there. It's, I mean, it's, I mean, and if we go back and look at the history, Matt, of, of the College World Series over the last couple of years, where did the majority of your World College World Series umpires come from? West Coast. Okay. Um, the training. Four out of the eight, usually. Four or five out of the eight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, tra- the, the training here is not as in-depth. It's not as uh, often. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, they, sometimes I think it's just, 
disregarded in at all at all because they just don't want to spend the time. Well, well, I would say this to my non-West Coast buddies out there listening. Uh, it's just it's a West Coast bias for sure. That's that's just my you know my outlook. But it's also this: there's so population-wise, there's so many umpires in the West Coast in LA, mm-hmm. San Diego, Phoenix. There's so many of them. The, the, the sheer volume numbers is all. There's amazing umpires all throughout the country in the South, uh, the, the East, the Midwest. I have buddies all over who I would ha- who I would uh, you know work with anywhere or, or love watching them in Omaha sometime, and, and we will in the near future. But I think it's just a sheer volume standpoint, and I think I would hope that most of the 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 top guys, not just officials, but have risen the ranks. And uh, we're putting the right guys out there, even though I have no say over it, nor do you. These are just maybe the guys we're rooting for here come the postseason. Right. I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, I mean, I there's a couple of uh, College World Series umpires here in, in, in this area that I've had the uh, pleasure of working with in, over the last year and a half. And I mean, it's, it's fun to work with those guys because you watch them and you learn. Uh, and it, it, it's just been a great experience. And umpiring has been a great blessing, Matt, because, I mean, I've made so many friends. And mm-hmm. it's just been, you know, and, and, and I hope those friendships continue for the rest of my life. I really do. No, it's amazing. I always say this with officiating, specifically umpiring, is, you, you know what, if it hadn't taken me to different states and everything, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have even met some of the people you ended up working with and just the relationship. Or, yeah, I know this guy or he knows that guy. Like, it's all one big, I hate overusing this term, but it is one big brotherhood. And it's just like, oh, you know, oh, you know, Ron. Oh, I know Ron. Oh, you know, Jarbo. I know it's just, it's that camaraderie that is really, really cool. And you will have definitely met people or would not have met people had you not, uh, you know, put the gear on and uh, gone out on the diamond somewhere. So I, I totally agree with that. Uh, Ron, uh, in honor of you today, I'm wearing my, my Navy. This is from the Naval Academy <laughs> for my Navy lid. One of my, some of my army buddies might protest to this, but I wore it in honor of you because you had quite a, a Naval career. We got to talk about. Um, I did Matt. Uh, wow. We're going back a long time now. Well, where'd you grow up? Let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up Ron? And then how did you uh, find your way into the Navy? I grew up in a town in West Central Georgia called Thomaston, Georgia. Um, I graduated from high school at the ripe old age of 17. And Thomaston is a, or was a mill community, uh, cotton mills and things like that. Uh, Well, they started sending all that overseas because of labor costs and things like that during the 70s. And so... uh, I was having a conversation with my stepmother and I about what to do, you know, college really wasn't an option because of the financial situation at that point. And uh, so, you know, I said, okay. And so I was driving uh, by the, and I drove by the Navy recruiting office one day and I just stopped in and see what they had to offer. So I took the test, Matt. I, I scored really well on the test and the guy said, when do you want to leave? I said, as soon as possible. <laughs> he goes, he goes, are you in trouble? I said, nope, not at all. I just want to get out of here. So two weeks later, I was on my way to Orlando, Florida. Um, I spent 20 years uh, in the submarine force of the Navy. Um, there's, there was, there was some great, uh, great camaraderie there. I still have friends that I've been friends with now for 40 years, Matt, that I'm still in contact with. I mean, it's, 
I mean, it, it's just a, it's a close knit community. It's a small community, of course. Uh, but, and then I landed in San Diego in 1986, 1986. And I stayed there until December, 2020. I retired in, uh, in, in 95 out of the military. And uh, it was, I mean, it was a great ride. Uh, it taught me to be a man. It, it made me mature. Uh, it, it provided me a, a college education uh, at very little expense out of my pocket. So I'm very grateful for that. And uh, it, it was just, it was just a, a great experience. Uh, wow. It was an honor and a privilege to wear that uniform of this country every day. Well, it is, uh, it is an absolute honor to have you with us and, and just uh, thank you and so many of the guys like you who, who did that for us. I, I love talking to veterans, guys who, uh, who were only in it a few years or in it for a long time. I mean, I got a lot of uh, a military history in my family and friends and such too. So it's, it's an honor to talk to guys about their service. And I know that, um, you know, Ron, it's a big reason that, that you're such a, a patriot. You love, you love the country. You've, you've traveled all over, I'm sure seeing it. And has that kind of added to your, uh, patriotism serving in the military serving in the navy for so long well yeah matt um you know the uh whenever you go out of this country and you go to third world countries which i've been to you know thailand philippines i mean uh it's you appreciate our freedom Mm. you appreciate our ability to make our own decisions and to live our lives as we see fit, because the place, some of the places I've been, they don't have that ability to do that. Um, their government controls everything. Um, now, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, I believe I'm a conservative libertarian. Um, protect my country and leave me alone. Protect my borders and leave me alone. Uh, I don't need you to tell me what kind of soda I can drink. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need you to tell me what kind of light bulbs I can use in my house. It's my house and I'll use any light bulb I want. Just saying, Amen. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. but it really does give you an appreciation for, for this country. Um, you know, uh, standing, <clears throat> standing behind old plate with your crew and you're getting ready to have the, uh, to, to have the national anthem played. And I've had this happen this year where all three of us were veterans Oh. And all three of us saluted instead of putting our hats over our hearts, you know, and you'd be surprised, Matt, at the players who walk up to you and go, hey, Blue, thank you for your service. Thank you so much for protecting us. That warms your heart. Mm-hmm. And, that, and all those sacrifices for 20 years are now validated and they're worth it. Yeah, I always kind of scan the crowd, um, you know, if, if I'm at a game, not... You know, you're on the field. It's a different story, but I scan the crowd here and there to uh, see if there is anybody saluting. And, and usually I do see somebody out there. And that's mm-hmm. that's awesome, Ron, to see all three of the guys on the crew uh, who were who veterans. And, and I just I don't care what the sport is. I think baseball is probably the most patriotic, I guess we could say. But uh, that national anthem is so important to be played before every game to show respect. Um, I've never had the game, but I've heard the, the Air Force Academy they all stand out there at attention and they look really, really sharp. I got to imagine that's what uh, the Naval Academy in West Point is like too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I just, it drives me crazy when I don't see guys showing the respect um, that they should have. And, and umpires for the most part do a pretty good job of it, but there are a few guys I've taken aside and said, Hey man, uh, we need to be totally still for this or, Hey, put your heels together, do it right. Cause if we, if we can't focus for two minutes, how are we going to focus for three hours? You know, I agree. You know, I'll, I'll share a funny story with you, with, with a, a guy, you and I both know and, and love Rich Padilla. Um, <laughs> he was, uh, he was uh, evaluate me at, uh, at UCSD one day. And really the only thing he had to say was during the national anthem, make sure your heels are together. And that's all he said. I mean, Richie is a, is a Marine, right? And that's the only thing he had to say, really. And he goes, that's it. He goes, we're good now. But yeah. uh, I, I always remember that. And so whenever I line up to have the national anthem, I always make sure that my heels are together and my feet are at 45 degree angles so that I know Richie's watching. That's right. That's right. Someone's watching it. Yeah, for sure. Got to, got to keep, it's just, it makes everything sharper. It puts us all into a uh, uniformity and, and makes, you know, pays the respect that it, that it deserves. So uh, and now Ron, God bless you, man, for your service. I have so many questions regarding, I mean, you can't just buzz over the submarine stuff. I do have some questions regarding that, but before I forget people, I mean, I got to know now you growing up, Hey, I'm Ron Reagan. Hey, I'm Ron Reagan. Now that was probably fine until uh, this guy became 40th president of the United States. <laughs> then was it like, Oh, are you related or, Oh, you know, how much, how often throughout your life do you get the whole, Oh, Ronald Reagan, really? Like how often does that happen? I still get it today, Matt, even though he's been gone for many, many years. But during his presidency, um, I was I was working at the Naval Recruiting District in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I transferred there as he was taken right after he took office. And um, so I'd answer the phone, Naval Recruiting District, Nashville. This is Ron Reagan. And they go, yeah, right. Let me speak to George Bush. <laughs> so I would say, OK, hang on a minute. Because, Matt, I had a guy in my office named George Bush. I would no, you didn't. Stop I did, it. Matt. If I'm lying, <laughs> I'm crying, and I ain't shed a tear. Okay? <laughs> I handed him the phone. He goes, George Bush, how can I help you? Matt, we put more people in the Navy out of that recruiting station than, than <laughs> ever. I mean, and it was a blast doing it. Now, on the other side of that coin, I had to have an unlisted phone number. I, it was back in those days. You had a phone book, right? Yeah. And I couldn't have my, my name in a phone book because I'd get phone calls at three o'clock in the morning telling me how bad my economic plan worked. Or <laughs> and so, you know, it was, uh, it, was a, uh, it was it was a little give and take. But when I was overseas and I needed to, you know, to call my wife and make a collect call, who's calling? This is Ronald Reagan. And it was just a minute, sir. And they put me right through. I and mean, there was no delay. So it, that was to my advantage. But um, I mean, it, it was a it was a good ride, and I still get uh, I still get those comments. Are you related? You know, uh, no, I'm not. My mother just loved him as an actor, so that's how that. <laughs> and so, and you, you spell it different too, don't you? No e, just an a. Yeah, he spells his incorrectly. He, he has an e, <laughs> his I don't. <laughs> I love you, Ronnie. I love you. You're the <laughs> so your mom just loved him as an actor, huh? And said, I I, I need a Ron Reagan in my life. That's, That's cool. right. So here I am. <laughs> what about boot camp? Was it, was it, well, I guess he wasn't president yet, but. No, cause I went to boot camp in 76. Yep. Okay. So he was I'm governor of California then or whatever, or was yeah, he? Uh, was it 70? Wait a minute. Yeah. Because didn't he leave office there in 70 from 74 to 78. 
and then okay and then i think so and then he got into the 1980 uh election because jimmy carter was elected president in 76 and he served that next four years and then president reagan took over in 81 in january of 81 yeah that's right that's right okay well before my time that's all i'll say but uh you know what uh it is cool that we had uh, two Ron Reagans doing great things at that time. Um, so when you went into the Navy, uh, did, did you, were you going in thinking this is going to be long-term thing or, Hey, let's just try it out. What were your initial thoughts that you just wanted to get out of Georgia for a while? Uh, what were your initial thoughts going into it? I just wanted an opportunity, Matt. And there were none in, in my hometown. And, you know, my stepmother, during that conversation I alluded to earlier, told me that Thomaston, Georgia was a great place to be from, as far away from as I could get. So, you know, I embraced the Navy as an opportunity to better myself, to grow up, to learn trades, to learn work ethic and things like that. Uh, but once I got in, Matt, and started going to sea and doing the things we were doing and how interesting that kind of stuff was, I fell in love with it. And, you know, and, and then you, if you couple that with, you know, love of country and patriotism and all that stuff, it was, it was meant to be, that's where I was meant to be for those 20 years. So did you know what your initial, um, what, what field, I guess you would want to go into or how did no. you come about? What were some of the earlier uh, responsibilities you had? Um, well, I mean, first of all, you know, they, when I joined, they said, well, do you want to go to submarine school? And I'm like, well, that means I'll be on a submarine. And I said, that's a ship that sinks on purpose. Wait a minute. <laughs> and they go, yeah, but we'll pay you $55 extra a month. Well, in the 70s, that's quite a bit of money, Matt. So I said, <laughs> okay, I'll go. And so I went to submarine school. And then I was assigned to my first submarine. Um, and, I mean, they go through, I mean, as a, as a, junior sailor you go through things like mess cooking and things like that where you serve the crew their dinner you do the dishes and you do that for a total of 90 days okay that's your first assignment on a ship is taking care of the crew and what it does is it it integrates you into the crew and makes you a a a, a functioning part of that crew by doing something for the crew which is what the submarine force is built on you know we're we're there to serve each other um we all have to learn damage control. We have to go through a qualification program uh, on there where we have to know where certain components of ventilation systems, uh, potable water systems, uh, electrical systems, the nuclear reactor systems, we have to know all those things uh, because we may have to shut them down in an emergency uh, with a fire, flooding, those kind of things. And uh, so that was really the, the first year on board was what I did. We had 12 months to, to, to qualify submarines. I did mine in seven months. Um, wow. And then after that, you become, you become a very integral part of the crew. Wow. And, and so being on the submarines, you know, we've seen in movies or whatever, it's like this very tight quarters. If you could take us, take us underwater there with you. I mean, what, how tight is it? How tight are these quarters? About how many men are on your uh, standard submarine? Um, about 150 total. Wow. You've got 135 enlisted people, and then you have a 15, uh, a, a 15 officers, captain, XO, engineer, navigator, 
and then the people that support their their roles. Um, uh, but uh, my very first submarine uh, was a fast attack submarine, and we, if you get in your bed in, or in your rack, as we call it, you had just enough room to turn over. That was it. Wow. <laughs> so what did it ended up being some of your bigger responsibilities uh, as you went forward or responsibilities that you were kind of doing the longest? Um, well, I was in charge of writing all the standard operating procedures and processes on board. Um, I would, I would get with the experts of the, let's say the electrical system or the, or the oxygen generating system and things like that. And we would write all these processes to start these systems up when it's time to get underway, you know, the diving procedures, the surfacing procedure, the, I mean, all those, I mean, everything we did on a submarine was done by process. Okay. There, I mean, no one did anything by memory. You always had a checklist in your hand. Um, everything was redundant. And so I was, in, I was responsible for writing some of that stuff and imp implementing some of that stuff and uh, those kind of things. Now, as my career progressed, um, of course, I, I got out of that role and I started, I mean, the, 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 the biggest number of folks I ever man managed was in the Navy was 674 at the submarine base there in San Diego. I was wow. basically in charge of all the administrative uh, functions of the submarine base in San Diego. So where, was, so where were some of the, talked about, you know, third world countries and such, where were some of the places you went that I'll say were, I guess, for lack of a better term, memorable places that uh, you wouldn't mind going back to? Or, and then was there any other places maybe that you saw that were just like, eh, that maybe you anticipated being better, but was just kind of like, eh, I don't need to go there or <laughs> from there again. Um, um, Thailand was a very interesting place. Um, I enjoyed that. Korea, I went to Korea. Uh, I went to the Philippines. Um, the, the good thing about the Philippines was the food. Uh, they can cook. <laughs> they really can cook, Matt. They really can. Um, uh, and then uh, after I retired, I went back to Thailand uh, just to go into the rainforest and things like that. Cause I wasn't able to do that when I was active duty. Um, <laughs> but that was, and then, I mean, and then, um, on the, on the Mediterranean side, you know, in, in the European side, I mean, I mean, there's really not third world there, but, um, some of the places, I mean, I saw Italy and Germany and Sweden and Denmark and Norway. And, and I took Eurorail for, several weeks and went through Europe with some uh, shipmates. Um, that was fun. I mean, but uh, I think the place I'd really like to go back to is the Amalfi coast in Italy. I could live there if they'd let me. Nice. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful place. Wow. Uh, so here's another random question. You know, I know, I know you said, what'd you say earlier? Submarine, that's the boat that goes underwater on purpose. Right. How do you, how do you get used to that? I mean, do you ever, I mean, the fact that, Hey, we're going underwater and, and what are some of the biggest, I don't know, fears or worries, concerns, other, you know, cause something goes wrong. You're already underwater. It's not like you, you can ab abandoning ship as is not that you ever maybe had to do that, but like, it's, I don't know what I'm trying to ask. What were some of the biggest concerns of being in a submarine? Um, and, and well, okay. So to give you 
a little background on a submarine. A, every system on, a, on the submarine has a redundant system. There is a lot of safety factors built into those ships because of what they're designed to do, okay? So in my very first submarine deployment, we were involved in a collision with another ship coming through the Straits of Gibraltar, okay? Scary, very scary. Uh, and then in my very last deployment, we hit an underground mountain or an underwater mountain, okay? So those are some of the concerns, but the biggest concern on a submarine is fire because once it gets into the lagging uh, on, the, on, the, on the outside, on, on the bulkheads, that stuff is, I mean, it's just like kindling, Matt. And it just, I mean, there's nothing you can do. And it's very toxic. Um, wow. There's some asbestos in there. So um, so those were some of the concerns. Collision, yeah. Uh, losing the reactor power, yeah, that's very concerning because that's your electrical and everything feeds off the electrical system, right? Um, but the, the big thing would be fire and flooding because there's nothing you could do at that point. No, that's, uh, that's scary stuff. I mean, you're talking about claustrophobia, you know, I'm, I'm sure that kind of goes out the window real quick with guys just because, hey, this is, this is our life down here. Um, and, and when you say you would deploy, how much, I mean, are you underwater the majority of the time or, or how often are you guys coming up and, and like, you know, docking at, uh, at uh, various shorelines? Well, it depends, on, it, it depends on the type of submarine you're on. If you're on a fast attack submarine, you're going to dock probably every 45 to 60 days. Okay. If you're on a missile carrying submarine, that's, you're not going to dock at all. You're going to go to sea and you're going to come back and you're going to change crews. And then you're going to go home for ever how long you're home. And then you come back and take the ship over. Um, the longest I've ever been submerged was 105 days. Oh my. Yeah. Three, three months. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yeah that's a lot when 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 you came up and saw the, the sky for the first time after that i mean what was what was that like really like, oh wow. uh, you feel you you kind of feel like the little gopher you know your eyes are all you know sensitive and and you know you have no skin color um and the only thing you want to do is drink fresh water and and, and eat a salad that's it <laughs> seriously <laughs> That is funny. I mean, yeah, it's just trying to think about being 24 hours a day down there. Like, what, are you able to, to still kind of, uh, I don't know, let loose uh, board games? What, what would you guys do to oh, kind of? I mean, yeah, I mean, and so, you know, there's always poker tournaments going on every night. Um, we have movie night every night at eight o'clock. Uh, I mean, there's always and then, you know, we we have casino night where, you know, we all have fun. We have um <laughs> I mean, we do, I mean, there's a lot of things we do. We have halfway night, which means we're halfway done uh, and we're going home, you know, in so many days. Uh, but I mean, and everybody pitches in and enjoys that time together. Uh, and, and, and it's a crew effort. Um, but we, we do those things because if we didn't, we'd go crazy. Yeah. Now, that's what I'm that said, the inside of a submarine is a lot bigger than people think. Okay, um, because most of the pictures you'll see, you'll see only the top of the part that's not submerged. But underneath the water, there's a whole nother hole underneath there 
that houses all the people. We call it the people tube, right? So, I mean, it, it's a different, like I said, and, and it's it's three stories. I mean, it's, it's three levels, lower, middle, and upper. And yeah, so uh, it's bigger than you think. Uh, and, you know, we have books. Um, you know, like I said, we have movies. Uh, we have music that they stream. Uh, the uh, interior communication guys stream uh, into our racks. We, we put on headphones. And, you know, we have music we listen to as we go to sleep or read or whatever we want to do. Sure. So, now, what about now? Listen, this is uh, this is young men uh, on, on a ship by themselves for a great deal of time. Uh, I got to imagine there was some uh, practical jokers maybe going on, some things of that nature. Or, or was it all business or did other ships, you know, non-submarine guys, did they kind of talk, take jabs, you guys and vice versa? Talk to me about the camaraderie or the joking going on in the, in the Navy. Well, I tell you right now that, uh, well, you, you kind of know me, Matt. I am a, I am a prankster. I'm a jokester. So <laughs> on my submarine, there's a lot of that going on. Cause I kind of, I kind of caused that to happen and I would get everybody involved from the captain down, uh, always had those good relationships with those officers so that we could keep morale high. That's um, huge. now if we pulled into a port and there was a couple of service ships there, we didn't go anywhere by ourselves. We went with a group of us. That'd be four or five, six of us. And then if something happened, it just, uh, it, you just, it never failed that the rest of the crew would show up just in time. Right. I mean, yeah, Matt, uh, you know, I've been, yeah, we've had some brawls and we've, we've had some fun. I've carried some shipmates back on my shoulder cause they couldn't walk. Uh, I mean, I've been carried back cause I couldn't walk. I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah, it was just what it was. Boys um, being boys. Hey, when you're at sea all that time, you gotta, gotta let loose somehow. That's, and uh... it's different. It's different doing those shenanigans in foreign countries than it is in your hometown okay really oh yeah man oh yeah <laughs> uh, it's it's because when you get overseas if once people realize you are an american sailor or an american military guy they take you in and they feed you and they they give you booze and they i mean they take care of you i mean forever how long you're there you you're part of their family and wow. that's just how it is, uh, just how it is. Um, it was very eye-opening for me to see all that. Wow. So you're telling me, uh, you know, people around the world don't, don't hate us uh, as, as much as maybe the people try to tell us, uh, you know, everyone hates Americans. It sounds like people were happy to see you guys most of the time. Exactly. Exactly, Matt. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, I did. I mean, I, I love Scotland. I've been to Scotland 13 times. Uh, and I, I played golf in Scotland. Uh, that's, that's, that's an experience that you, that you need to uh, um, treat yourself to. Oh, uh, but it was, it was, it, it, it was such a blessing. It was, but whenever we would go into town for dinner, cause we always had fish and chips when we got to Scotland. I mean, <laughs> and I'm talking about the ones wrapped in the newspaper mat and all that stuff with the real homemade uh, vinegar and all, Oh man. I mean, I'm hungry just thinking about it, but you know, we would go downtown, there'd be 30 or 40 of us and we would have dinner at this one place and then we'd go to our local pub and we walk in and people knew us from the last time we were there and we didn't spend any money. Uh, they oh, wouldn't man. let us, they wouldn't let us, Matt. 
so no, they don't hate us, Matt. Um, I think that's a narrative that people that hate us want to uh, want to create, but I don't I don't believe it's true to this day because they know that we have their backs no matter what. Yeah, I think the stars and stripes still mean something to a lot of people around the world. Um, uh, that's just my take. Yes, sir. Uh, well, you eventually uh, eventually docked in San Diego. Uh, do you remember your the last time getting off that submarine? And you, so were you planning to live in San Diego? How did your transition out of the Navy and living in San Diego go about? Well, um, I had two children or I have two children. Um, I have a son and a daughter. And, um, I left, I met, I actually left San Diego when I retired and I moved back to Georgia. Okay. And both of my children were just miserable. Um, and we were sitting at dinner one night in, in the house and my son was 13 at that time. And he just slammed his fist on the table and he was crying. I mean, uncontrolled. And he looked at me, he says, dad, you get me the hell out of here. Two weeks, I, I immediately the next day went, I was, I looked for a job. Um, I got a job a week later and two weeks after that, we were gone. Wow. And, and I what was it? They, they, they missed the friends or, or what was They missed it about? the friends. They missed, they missed the beach. They missed it all because they grew up on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's tough to walk away from that. They did, you know, <laughs> and you know, Matt, uh, my son, and my daughter's grades suffered significantly. And when we got back out there and they got back into school, their grades immediately came right back up to where they were. And so I stayed there until they were grown. Wow. Well, you talk about morale. I mean, that's a big thing. Sometimes we, we perform better no matter what it is, but based off of, off of our environment, for sure. Sounds Absolutely. like, yeah, sounds like coming home to San Diego was, was great for them. And what, what you mentioned golf. When did, or have you always been into golf? Talk to me about your golf. Uh, I don't know the terminology, so forgive me. Uh, if I, you're a pro, if you're a teacher, how's it? Tell me, talk to me about golf. I started playing golf when I was 25 years old. Uh, the mother of my children worked for a company and they had a company picnic and part of a raffle. And I bought a couple tickets and I won a set of golf clubs. And I'm like, I'll never use these things. Well, <laughs> Wow. So we were in Nashville, Tennessee at that time. And my next duty station was in Charleston, South Carolina. Well, Charleston's full of golf courses, Matt, just full of them. And so I met some guys on the submarine that loved to play golf. And so I went to the local Air Force base in Charleston and I started taking lessons. And it just it just took off from there. Uh, I played all Navy golf for several years of my career. Uh, that was fun. I got to travel around and play golf throughout the world. So when you say Navy golf, what do you, what do you mean by the, the, the Navy had its own like golf team and who would they play? Yeah, they, against? they call it the all Navy golf team. They have an all Navy baseball team an all Navy softball team. Uh, wow. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, yeah. And so, I mean, you compete to be on that team. Interesting. And, and how many guys were on that team just to kind of put it in perspective 14. that you were on 14. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That, and so when you started playing, like you said, I'll never play this. You just kind of fell in love with it and started to get better and better. And we talked about uh, officiating addiction earlier. Would, would, is it safe to say you got a little addicted to the game of golf too? Oh, I did. I did. I've read so many books on the golf swing. Um, I've read, you know, Ben Hogan's book. Uh, yeah. I, it, there's so many 
And just remember that golf is played on a five inch fairway as Ben Hogan said, and that's between <laughs> your ears. Right. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I worked on my swing. Um, I took lessons. I mean, I took lessons for 20 years, Matt. I did. And, um, and then I, and then in 2008, I got in the business. Uh, I got in the golf business um, as an assistant pro at Admiral Baker golf course in San Diego. Uh, I was, I was, uh, I went through the PGA program to be an apprentice and to be a, uh, a, a class, a professional. I never made it to the class, a professional. I had two out of three steps done. Um, but I never made it the third step because the economy kind of broke on us and I needed to get into the real world and, and make some money. Um, but that was an experience too, because I was able to teach and, um, do those things and develop some, some kids. And, uh, I did a lot with junior golf, um, during that time. Uh, that was very rewarding, uh, because you had kids that you had kids that were talented and you had kids that were, that could be good. And then you had the kids that were there to be babysat by mom and dad who had no business there, but I was able to connect with them in a way that they bought into what I was selling at that point. And you wouldn't believe, I mean, some of them now are playing in high school and college golf that I was able to put, you know, some, some uh, training with and some development with, and that was very rewarding. So, so help me understand. Cause I, again, naive to a lot of this is so when you're the club pro or the assistant pro uh, uh -huh. of a, of a course, you're basically like the, I don't know, the lead instructor, for lack of a better term, is that um, kind of? No, not really. Um, okay. you, have to, you have to have a certain, I mean, you have to complete phase one of the, of the uh, class A process in order to teach. I mean, you have to write a paper on it and you have to go present this paper to uh, a, a group of pros down in uh, St. Lucie, Florida, where the PGA headquarters is located, um, mm -hmm. do all that stuff. Um, and then they will get back to you and let you know, yep, yeah, you're good to do this, you know, and that stuff. Um, but as an assistant, I was not the first assistant. Your first assistant is really your, your, your head is your uh, lead instructor. I was just an assistant where I was able to teach and, and develop and, and, and help people out. Hmm. So, okay. Now that I got you here, I'm going to ask a very important question to us, uh, us poor golfers. What can you tell me in about 30 seconds that can make me a better golfer Ron or other people, or, or how can you just help me to not like throw my club in, into a, uh, into a lake or something, any advice for, for us, uh, amateur? Yeah, exactly. Whenever you get behind the golf ball and you're ready to take your shot, when you walk into it, do not take any more than 10 seconds over the ball and quit thinking. I like it. I like quit it. Thinking. What Yogi Berra say, you can't think and hit at the same time, right? That's right. You can't. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I've heard do this, do that, put your, do, I'm just nope. to get up there, take a hack. On, on the golf course, when you're playing the game, it's not the time to be mechanical. Think about, <laughs> um, Matt, think about umpiring. Think about okay. umpiring. You know, you've seen all these guys that come out of umpire school and they're so mechanical with their mechanics, right? Yeah. Now, after two or three years, look at those same guys. They're not as mechanical as they were. They're not robotic, right? Mm. Think that's the difference between a, a a practice session and play. Okay. Okay. Good to know. I, I'm taking your next time. And they say, Matt, it's your turn. 
I'm going to walk 10, nine, eight. And I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to swing. And if I hit any good ones, I'm going to be like, Ron was right. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, it's not how hard you swing. It's how fast you swing. Okay. That's my problem. Harder, I swing harder. I swing hard. Golf is not a game of hitting the ball hard. It's a game of the, the, the faster you swing the club, the more distance you're going to get. And, and it'll be more true directionally. Okay. I'll, I would just love to hit it like 150 yards straight. That's all. That's all. I'm not greedy. I'm not, I can hit it like 300, but it goes way right. <laughs> so, so maybe back off that a little bit and make sure because what's happening, I bet you is you're sliding and the club is open at impact. So it has no choice, but to go right. Yeah, no, it's, Whereas, it's probably true. If you stay I couldn't hit a baseball it, or a golf ball, I, I'm, I'm and, terrible. <laughs> You turn if, if you turn the lower body first and let that club because the body squares the club for you. You don't have to use your hands at all. I don't use my hands at all in the golf swing. Okay, I got you. Okay, I haven't got out in a while. I got to get out there and just hit a thousand balls until Jarbo. I can take Jarbo. Yeah. Take yeah. He I used during the the we had nothing better to do. We were out there golfing a ton. I I got you know hooked on it and uh, didn't improve much, just a little. But I haven't played in a while. He he loves playing and. Yeah, you you guys got to get out for sure since you guys are the the pros of, of uh, golfing yeah. and stuff. Where are some of the, oh Mike Mike yeah you got to get uh, see Mike here soon. What what are some of the nicest courses you mentioned Scotland? What are some of the nicest courses you've played on uh, throughout your time? Uh, Pebble Beach, <laughs> Conventional, um, Torrey Pines in San Diego. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, I mean. We played some courses in Japan. We played the old course overseas, uh, St. Andrews. I mean, it's been a blessing, Matt. It's been a blessing. And is it, so is it true that uh, there's no bad days on the golf course, as they say? A bad day playing golf is better than a great day at work. Amen to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes, I mean, pace of play is everything. But you also want to be like, hey, let's slow down and enjoy this a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> enjoy the stroll. I mean, I walk now. I have a push cart. And every time I play, I walk because I'm at the age now where I need to be supple and I need to be uh, loose. And that seems to help me achieve that. So very nice. Very nice. Well, I'll uh, I'll let you know if, if your advice works. And I'll probably be asking you for plenty more pointers. <laughs> um, so, Ron, you're in San Diego. I guess that's where we met. You worked with a ton of high school football officials down there. And I always said that, you know, I college baseball was my moneymaker and everything. But to me, there was nothing more fun than a Friday night of high school football. Uh, what was your experience? What was your relationship working uh, high school football and officiating? Oh my, oh, Matt. Wow. I mean, I'm now I got cold chills. Um, you know, Matt, I played the game in high school and, um, there was nothing better than a Friday night getting ready to kick off. I mean, you're nervous. you got cold chills, the national anthem plays. And, you know, we would take our positions on Friday night as officials in San Diego and they play the national anthem and Matt, I'd get cold chills or I'd have tears coming out of my eyes. I mean, we we had an association of about 350 officials and matt 
I can't begin to tell you how close in the, of the number of friendships I forged in those years. Cause I was, I was with them for 15 years. And I mean, we were on different crews every year of five man crews. We drafted every year, different crews. And then I became a white hat and I had my own, I had to choose my own crew and that was exciting. And I had a mentor help me do that, you know? Um, and it was awesome. Uh, but there's nothing, you know, I, I tell young officials now that I mentor that Friday night football is the most fun you can have on Friday night with your clothes on. Okay. And that's just the way it is. Um, and I will believe that until the day I can, I mean, they will, they will drag me off the football field in a body bag. I, I believe that with all my heart. Um, cause I am not going to give up football no matter what. Yeah, oh, I, it, I love it so much. It was, it's it was just, hard for me. It's just hard so to walk away. So you yeah, walked away from football also? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't officiated. Man, it was, it was one thing after another, you know, I, I, uh, I was putting more time into baseball. I was traveling with Jarbo going to the, you know, the Midwest to work independent leagues and everything. So I, I was getting back later for the football season. And eventually I had to step aside, but um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Ronnie, there's nothing better than Friday nights. Friday night lights are uh, truly special. And of all the places I've been umpire in baseball, I mean, most of my thoughts go back to those Friday night uh, football games because it took y'all, it took, takes us back again to you when you, you play, exactly. I play, you know, exactly. Like I was, I was that 17 year old kid, like 10 years ago. Oh wait, much longer than that now. Like, you know, Oh, but I, you know, and, and, and here in Georgia, Matt, they close the towns down, buddy. Oh, talk to me. We kick off at seven 30 here and Matt, I have not worked in front of less than 5,000 people (laughs) here. Now I did the state championship (laughs) game at Georgia state university this year. And I'll bet you there was 18 to 20,000 people in the stands. Oh boy. I mean, I it's loud. Story. It's, it's, it's obnoxious and boy, is it fun. <laughs> I mean, it's a blast. Um, I had a, I had a quarterfinal game that I had to drive down to Savannah, Georgia for, and it was Benedictine. They are a military Academy here. Uh, and they played a team called Marist from, it's a private Catholic school up here in Atlanta. And they played, and man, it was full, Matt. Twenty thousand people. Wow. Twenty. I mean, it was full. It was full. So you'll you'll give me an an unbiased uh, opinion here, since you lived in both California and Georgia, you've officiated both states. This is not about uh, politics or living conditions or anything. Right. Just sheer uh, talent on the football field, not the crowds, but as far as Georgia high school football and. Southern California high school football. What would you say? Is it close in, in the athleticism? No. It, it's not no. what, which no. one's hot here, Georgia. And, Georgia. and I don't say that because I live here now. Okay. Football here, Matt is a way of life. Okay. Seriously. It is. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, Matt, and I, I I'm, 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 I'm not exaggerating. There are high schools here that have indoor facilities to practice. Okay, Matt, they have million dollar weight rooms. Yeah. Every high school that I umpire in baseball has lights. We don't start baseball games here till six o'clock at night. Wow. 
as it, I, as I think it should be, but yeah, no one has lights out here. Right. I, last night I worked, I, I worked a doubleheader last night. State playoffs have started here. Right. I worked Buford, which is a premier school here in, uh, in, in this area. They are six a, so they're division one compared to, to California. Uh, we started, we had a doubleheader, so we started at four 30, but their facility, their whole field is turf with the exception <laughs> of the mountain. Okay. Um, you drive by their school, you're, you, it looks like you're driving by a university. It's that big. Um, they are in the process of breaking ground on a dome for their home football games. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> I know they care more. I understand they care more. They have better facilities, but as far as the talent on the field, the, 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 the student athletes, it's still far superior sec country versus Southern California. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. will put, um, I would put a four, a team here in Georgia against an open division team out there. And I don't care. You pick it. Uh, yeah. St. John Bosco, modern day, you pick it. Let's, Whoever yeah, you want, the, Rio Honda, those, I don't care. Those are our two big schools down here. Yeah, for you know? sure. That's and I believe that the Georgia team would take them seven out of ten times. Interesting. Now, and and so when you were in San Diego, just to bring it back to uh, to the Pacific Ocean here, who were some of the most talented football players you officiated in the San Diego section? Since I never got down there, I was always the you know the southern section up here. Um, Reggie Bush, yeah, uh, Alex Smith. Same team. Chris, Chris Olave from Ohio State now went to uh, Mission Hills. Um, Jack Tuttle, who went from uh, Mission Hills to Indiana. And I don't know where he is now. He left Indiana. Um, wow. Let me see who else. When you saw Reggie Bush, I've heard Alex Smith was just kind of like it was he handed the ball off a lot. But I've heard Reggie Bush, his highlight, his high school film is just off the chart. Absolutely. Yeah. Best Did you know at that time that, man, this kid's going to possibly be a Heisman trophy winner someday. No. You, yeah. I mean, you knew he was special, mm. uh, you, but you didn't know how special um, uh, you could see Smith had great potential, but he didn't blossom until he got to Utah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Chris Olave. Uh, I mean, he's, he's, I mean, he's, he's probably getting drafted right now. Oh I mean, yeah. Draft start here. Draft, right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, uh, Chris Olave was a man among boys. He's fast, uh, strong, big kid. He's six, one 190 pounds. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. Um, who, who's the best high school football program in your opinion, uh, in the San Diego section traditionally just has, has a, is constant Helix, up Helix high school Helix. So that, so Reggie and, uh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, they, school, yeah. they just reload every year, Matt. I mean, they're just wow. strong every year. Uh, then you probably got cathedral high school, which is a private Catholic school. I was going to say cathedral. I see them a lot. Yeah. yeah. You see them a lot. Good program. Uh, Madison, uh, where both my children went to school and now has a great program under Rick Jackson. I know Oceanside has had some good teams. Do you guys cover that area? Yeah, we did. We covered yeah. everything from the Orange County line to the Mexican border. All okay. the way out to the Imperial Valley line. Wow. Yeah, it's I a mean, big, big section. A lot of good football. And a lot of great, like you mentioned, the guys. I mean, I have so many friends who officiated down in, in, in San Diego. I mean, yourself, uh, Mike Allen, Shalimar Jackson, who, I, you know, he's doing oh, big, yeah. big things. 
I mean, big time official. Um, Brian Bordness, I worked with him for a while. Yeah. Um, Bordness. Did, uh, uh, did you know Ed Zapolsky? Never met him. Um, who else? How about Dave Garza? Garza. I think I've worked with him once, maybe I met him he, once. He was, but, I mean, he was a good guy. Chris Wiggins. Wiggins. Ta- I mean, what a pro, what a class act that guy. Um, but, you know, now, you know, now he's up for a, a white hat position in Pac-12. Yeah. I remember I mean, he's working yeah. games. It's like, it happens overnight now it's with hard work, but it's just like, yeah, that's a guy that's going places. Yeah. But you know, Matt, I mean, those are the guys, those are the guys that taught me Bortness and Chris Wiggins. Those guys taught me, you know, they taught me how to be an official. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There's, so it's fun to see those guys excel and go into other areas because you're like, yeah, I've, again, you talked about credibility and mm-hmm. usually the guys with credibility, they don't need to tell you how great they are. You know how great they are because right. they're, they're better people and they're people that just want to help and, and give advice and teach you a ton of things that you wouldn't know otherwise. Well, you know, from our association in San Diego, and I'm very proud of that association because that's, that's where I cut my teeth. We had seven, now eight. NFL officials come out of our association. Wow. Uh, Mike Carey was the first African-American to referee a Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Yeah. My brother Don Carey was a back judge. Uh, Garthy Felice was the number one rated umpire for years Forever. and years. I think he did four or five Super Bowls. Yeah. Um, oh, Garth. And, you know, uh, Tim Pedraza is still on the field. Uh, Clay Renard Jr. is now... He, this is his third year coming up in the NFL. I mean, we, we had a lot of talent. And we got another kid, uh, Marlo Fitzgerald, who I think will be in the NFL in the next couple of years. Marlo yeah. did the uh, national championship game between Ohio State and Alabama in 2021. Yeah. No, and uh, we, we have our, our units much smaller at the Foothill Citrus, but we had some great guys there, uh, guys in the Pac-12, Sean Hockley in the NFL, and mm-hmm. uh, the San Diego area, yeah, is, is just a ton of great officials, um, and, and it's nice when we get to cross over and work together in college and such, uh, so man, just a great time. High school football, it's the best. I, you, you, I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, let me ask you now, since we've talked high school football, and you've mentioned kind of where you live now, um, you are a huge and I mean, huge Alabama <laughs> fan, Ron, explain this. Okay. Help me out here. Born in Georgia, lived a lot of your life at San Diego, back in Georgia and Alabama Crimson Tide. What's up? Okay. All right. Well, I have a, my brother is eight years older than I am. Okay. And he was a huge Alabama fan, you know, so I've only known Alabama football since I was old enough to know what a football was, Matt. And you know, we used to watch it on, on Saturday afternoons on TV. You know, we would we'd go get hamburgers and bring them back from Piggy Park. That was their favorite eating place in, in Thomaston, Georgia. We'd go get hamburgers and hot dogs and bring them back, and we'd watch Alabama football on Saturday afternoon. That's what we did. But, but so it wasn't, I grew up there was no it. one like saying, hey, kids, no, we're in Georgia. This is Georgia. No one, I mean, well, we just. Yeah, I mean, our whole family was saying that, but we didn't care. I mean, because, <laughs> you know, I love Bear Bryant. I, I think okay. he's, he's the greatest football coach ever. Um, and I don't say just because he's at Alabama. I just think the way he did things was right. Okay. I mean, uh, and so any chance we got, I mean, if, if, if they were in uh, Tennessee, we went to Vanderbilt to watch him play. Uh, if they went to Athens, we went, we, we, we made that drive to watch him play. 
Um, so, uh, and, you know, now that I'm back here, he and I have been able to share some Alabama games together in live uh, in person. Uh, I mean, I went to Tuscaloosa four times last year to watch him play. Um, oh. I've already bought three game tickets for this coming year. Um, so yeah, that's I to, why I man. need to, I need to come out South then Ronnie, when you come out, got South, play some golf, we'll see a football game. It sounds like I'm on brother. Cause there's <laughs> nothing like SEC football. I, it's on my bucket list. I, I, I'm a proud, you know, West coast guy, but I, I got to get to the South and see some SEC football. Matt, I believe the athletes here are bigger, stronger, faster. Mm. I believe it. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, the proof is in the I mean, success. Um, you know, I know my whole family are Georgia fans. And when Georgia beat Alabama this year, I mean, you can only imagine my phone blowing up, right? <laughs> okay. And so, um, and you know, Kirby Smart, the head coach of the University of Georgia, was the defense coordinator at Alabama. He won four national championships over there. So he knows what he's doing. And, I, and I'm happy for Kirby. I really yeah, am. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and George uh, has been, you don't want to hear this, but George has been so close so many times. I actually was happy to see them get over the hump. I mean, Alabama's ripped their hearts out countless times. So. Oh, yeah. And, I'm, <laughs> and, and I was happy to see it for Kirby. Mm -hmm. And then Stetson Bennett, you know, he's a, he's a story in himself. He was a walk-on at University of Georgia, and now he's a national champion as a starting quarterback. That's a story right there too, Matt. Blessing. Oh for yeah. That, right. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? In today's game, today's age, it's it's uh, kids show up. I'm not going to play right away. I'm transferring. And it's just like you love to see a classy guy like that who stuck it out. Maybe a little fire under him. And yeah, he ended up being a national championship quarterback for the University of Georgia. He's he's in the history books forever. So the other day, Nick Saban made the claim that in his 17 years at Alabama. His players who went on to the NFL have made $1.7 billion. Okay. That's, that's a good recruiting pitch. Okay. And, <laughs> and that's right. And he says, if you look at most of those kids, they didn't even play their freshman year. He says, but they developed. Wow, they bought into the great process. Point. Oh, that's a great point. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man. That, yeah. I mean, and, and needless to say, if you are, I mean, I'm not in their shoes, but, but it's kind of sounds like if you're a kid who goes there, you're going to get the best coaching in America. If you just stick it out, he can mold you into a draft pick. Tonight is the NFL draft. Tonight is we're going to see 10 Alabama guys go, go in the first round. I got to imagine. Well, I mean, I'm going to go back to a kid that's on the, that, that's going to be drafted tonight. His name is Brian Robinson. He's a running back for university of Alabama. He didn't play his freshman year or his sophomore year much at all. His junior year, he got some more snaps last year behind uh, Najee Harris, but then he exploded. And then this year, I mean, he's, he's, he's one of the best in the country and he's going to go high and he bought into the process and he listened to coach Saban and now look where he is. Well, I love seeing the guys, like you just mentioned, the, the running back. I mean, he sits behind Najee Harris. He sat behind, I don't know, Derek Henry. Probably he was still there then. Uh, but the quarterback situation, you got Mac Jones. He sat behind Tua. Jalen Hurts, you know, he that whole thing. Like, it's just, it's it's amazing if you stick around. And they're always bringing in new guys. I mean, uh, Bryce, um, the Bryce, quarterback Bryce now. Young. Bryce, Bryce Young. Young, the quarterback now. He came in. And, you He's know, played out of yeah, at a modern day right here. I mean, uh, the, the Clemson quarterback, uh, he's from out here too. So it's crazy seeing the top West Coast quarterbacks go to the SEC and the ACC. But 
I mean, you want to get the best coaching and, and again, be among those guys that are going to make $1.7 billion. Why wouldn't you go to the sec? Right. I mean, and you know, uh, coach Saban, I mean, now I know he's a great coach, but if you watched his press conference subsequent to the national championship game, when he had, uh, his linebacker and his quarter, his number one linebacker and his quarterback sitting there and they were done with them and they dismissed them. And coach Saban said, Hey, can I say something? And the moderator said, absolutely coach. And he defended those guys. And he said, these guys are not defined by this one game. I remember that they contributed to our success. He goes, I'm proud of them. And I look forward to what they're going to bring back next year. Mm. And that tells you how he feels about his players, you know, and he's, he will get mileage out of that on recruiting trips and with his current team right now, because they know (laughs) Coach Saban has my back. And I just think, you know, I, I just can't say enough about him. He, he's one thing I've always admired about Saban people criticize and I'm like, dude, I think he's the greatest ever. Uh, but people criticize. And one thing he does that I, I take notice of, he gets after his assistant coaches more than he does the players. He's just like the player messed up because of you, because right. he holds his coaches to such high standard. And that's why they go on to become head coaches everywhere else. Well, you know, there, there, there's, there's two stories I'll share with you. One's about Lane Kiffin. The other one's about Kirby Smart. Lane Kiffin, if you'll remember five or six years ago, he and Saban went nose to nose on the sideline. Okay. <laughs> and so they, of course, you know, the press is going to pick up on that and they want, they want the gossip. They want the juicy stuff. And they asked him, say, coach, well, what were you and Lane Kiffin discussing during that, during that, uh, th- that time? And coach Saban goes, that was not a discussion. That was an ass chewing. <laughs> and then there's a, there was a, a, a point where Kirby, he, he, he got on Kirby, something like he did Kiffin and uh, Kirby wouldn't talk to him. And finally at the coaches meeting a couple of days later, Nick Saban says, come on, Kirby. I was only trying to make you a better coach. Yeah. So what does that tell you? You know, he, he's all about development. He's all about the process. And well, it's been unbelievable to me what, what he has done there. I thought they won a couple. All right. All right. It's cool. But they just keep it going. And college football is kind of that way where it's different from the NFL that you can get the best players year in and year out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but everyone's doing, I mean, George is doing it. Clemson's doing it. LSU, everyone's doing it. The top 10, 20 teams anyway. Um, so it's always going to be top heavy that way. But you look at Alabama to go, th- I mean, they have some interesting non-conference opponents. I'll say that, but to Georgia Auburn, LSU, to have that, those three huge rivalries every single year and to be successful most of the time, man, man that really says something about just how dominant well, they've been. And, and also bear in mind, in 2020, 2020, Matt, they played a conference schedule only. Yes. So they played 10 SEC opponents. They played Florida. They played Georgia. They, I mean – and, and they, they went undefeated. They were 13 and 0 that year and won the national championship over Ohio state. I mean, what does that tell you? I mean, yeah. that was, that was Mac Jones last year. And, you know, uh, it's, you well, know, Najee's last year. 
what's crazy for me with Alabama is that when they lose, it is by a very slim margin. Now I know this year's title game turned into a few possessions, but in general, the past 10 years, their losses have not been <laughs> by a whole lot. Um, the Utah game, the U- early in Saban's career, that was right, kind right, of a right. blowout that shocked everybody. But uh, you know, overall, I hate to say it uh, Alex for a Smith. while, Alex, <laughs> right. For a while I was like, uh, so I was like Alabama, uh, but at some point, even the strongest haters, you got to start to respect and at least fear the Crimson Tide at some point. Right. Right. Uh, so, I mean, so, yeah, I, I, I can't say enough. I know, you know, he lost to Texas A&M last year. And well, Texas A&M comes to Tuscaloosa. I've already got my ticket. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm I, ready. Think, uh, I think the Bama fans are ready to, ready to rock. I mean, that area of the country, you really can talk uh talk college football talk radio 12 months out of the year right i mean even Mm -hmm. in the month of uh, march you're talking college football yeah you can i mean um yeah there's radio stations on and that's all they talk about is college football it's crazy i I gotta get out there to a game i'm I'm gonna hold you up to it and you hey you you show me show me where to go let's get to a game at like 7 a.m man let's have a good time well i'll tell you what whenever you go to tuscaloosa and you walk through the campus because the, the, the stadium is on campus. Bryant Denny is on campus. And you walk through there and there's nothing. It's wall-to-wall tailgate parties on both sides of the streets. You walk through one, they hand you a beer and a hamburger or a hot dog. And they don't, <laughs> as long as you got your Alabama stuff on, you're family, man. And it, it, it's, it's an experience. I mean, I haven't <laughs> been to Bryant Denny until last year in 30 years, Matt. But... I mean, uh, there's nothing like it. There's nothing wow. like SEC football. And to me, there's nothing like Alabama football. Nothing at all. I, I believe you. I got to get out there and check it out. It's on my bucket list. And uh, I will definitely do that in the near Well, you got a place to stay. Oh, you, you let me know when you come. I mean, hey, Matt, I, I moved out here. I bought a three-bedroom, two, two-and-a-half bath house um right next three to bedroom two and three three bedroom two and a half would that cost you about two or three million dollars uh california prices out there yeah i could take <laughs> this somewhere yeah yeah just... <laughs> no well you know i'll be honest with you full disclosure when i left there i was renting a three bedroom two bath apartment i was paying thirty five hundred dollars a month okay in san diego in san diego oh my god house payment my house payment is one third that <laughs> There's a lot of good reasons to move down to the South, well, man. I'm yeah. I mean, just the cost of living was 23% difference, Matt. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, good for you, man. I'm so happy to hear that you're, uh, you're, you're back home, you're home, you get home safe, right? You've come full circle. Are, are you, I mean, looking back at your life to go from Georgia to San Diego and back and then back. And then, I mean, do you feel finally at home and just like looking back on life? Like, man, it's been a ride. You know, I do, Matt, you know, I'm a, I'm a faith guy. I'm a faith-based guy. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I found a great little church here that I go to. Uh, The pastor of that church, his father and my older brother played baseball together in high school. So that's, so, I mean, and and I'm a hundred miles from my hometown where I grew up. So I'm right where I'm supposed to be, Matt. I know that um, the good Lord has taken care of me and I know he's protected me. And he brought me right where he wants me to be at this point in my life. Wow. Well, not a bad way to wrap it up, Ron. Uh, very well said. I am so happy for you, man. I know that uh, every uh, every few days in the fall, I'll see a Facebook 
post from you that says, let me tell you all just one thing, roll tide. You know, that's I, right, brother. <laughs> <laughs> that will never change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My man, Ron, this has been so much fun, man. And thank you for doing this and God bless you. And uh, yeah, enjoy, enjoy the good life out there in the free state of Georgia. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Blessings to you and yours. Uh, don't be a stranger. Please don't stay in touch. Uh, and, if, and if you, if you do want to come out here and see a football game, you set it up, you let me know when you're coming. I've got, I've got two bedrooms that aren't being used. You're welcome to use one of them forever. How long you want to be here and we'll, and we'll get us some tickets and we'll go to an sec football game. Oh man. It is. I I'm, I'm going to start, start saving right now. And, and yeah, that sounds wonderful, Ronnie. Thank you so, so much. I tell you what, if you got a place to stay, you get your airfare out here and back. I'll take care of the tickets. Oh my goodness, Ron, you're too kind. You need to stop no, it, man. Stop no, it. I, you know, you know, you, when I was first broke into division two baseball and you took me under your wing and you taught me the right way to do things and you taught me little things to make me look sharper and better and it's helped progress my career and I'm forever grateful. Oh, you're the man, Ron. Well, as we wrap it up, give me, give me one good, uh, give me one good roll tide, Ron. Come on, like right, Saturday. Matt, I got two Ready? words for you, brother. Roll tide. SEC football on Ron Reagan. You better believe I'm in, Ron. I will take you up on that offer. I'm going to start researching flights right now, my friend. It was an absolute pleasure to chat with you today about, uh, well, SEC football, but umpiring, uh, your time in the, the Navy, submarines, golf. I mean, it was just an absolute pleasure, my friend, to catch up with someone. And guys, this is why I do this podcast. I do this so that I can share a conversation uh, that I have with a friend, maybe catching up or just learning a little bit about them. I'm a firm believer that everyone has something about them that should be shared. Uh, it could be something small. It could be something big. It could be a single event in their life. It could be a lifetime of events. So uh, I love finding the stories inside of people that, uh, that, that I can share with you guys. So, so many people have reached out to me and said, man, that was really interesting. And, and that's why I'm doing this to, to again, fun conversations. And again, I know I do my show on Tuesdays just by myself, rambling away about my opinions on, on life and everything. But it's, it's interviews like today that I just, I consider myself incredibly blessed and really want to keep doing this uh, and just setting up these interviews with, uh, with people that have come into my life or some people that I've never even met before. It's fun just talking with someone and talking about their life's journey because we can all learn a thing or two or at least share some laughs, right? Man, I, I'm ready for football season now. What do we got? Four months, five months until uh, college football? I better look at the schedule here and some flights. Ron Reagan, not the 40th president, but as Ron said, uh, uh, President Reagan spelled it wrong and uh, some great stories there regarding uh, his name. And, and I can't believe they had a George Bush in the recruiting office also. That is great stuff. Man, I hope you guys had some laughs today like I did as you head into the weekend uh, here in the uh, spring. What are we in May now? I mean, time is, uh, time's flying by. I, I can't believe we're almost to the summer and then it'll be football before that. This podcast kind of makes the weeks fly by, which I, I'm a big fan of. So I'll be back next week for more fun conversations on Friday. Anyway, Tuesday, it'll be just me, just me rambling about current events, my opinions, uh, breaking down uh, some sports topics and such. And then Friday's a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone that I will uh, put out there for you guys. Be sure to check out social media on Thursdays for who is coming on the podcast. You'll see us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, pictures of the upcoming guest, guest and a brief description so you know when to tune in on Fridays. But if you don't see that, every Friday uh, releases 5 a.m. Pacific time, the most recent interview on the Get Home Safe podcast. Guys, have a wonderful weekend. Ron Reagan, thanks for coming on 
the Get Home Safe podcast. And to everyone else out there, guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. Thank you.